Hey there, I'm Andrew Kuman, and this is Things I Said Aloud, a podcast that celebrates words. It's the audio companion to my Substack newsletter, Things I Wrote Down. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter at andrewkuman.com and get great content right in your inbox. Today, I chat with Jared Vandermeulen from Open Doors Canada, the organization that works to strengthen Christians where faith costs the most. If you enjoy the episode, drop a note, or better yet, share it with a friend. Now, here's my conversation with Jared Vandermeulen. Jared Vandermeulen, thank you for joining Things I Said Aloud. Hey, Andrew, it's nice to be here. Okay, so I love a good origin story. Can you share yes. a bit about how Open Doors began? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Open Doors goes back to 1955, and uh, our founder was a missionary by the name of Andrew Vanderbeel, and his better known name is Brother Andrew or God Smuggler, uh, somewhat famous story. And uh, what he did was connect with Christians in, at the time, uh, communist Europe behind the Iron Curtain and smuggle them Bibles, hence the name God Smuggler. Uh, That was what he considered his mission in life was to strengthen the persecuted church by bringing them God's word when they didn't have access to it themselves. And what he would do was load up his uh, his classic Volkswagen Beetle with Bibles in in the given language uh, and go behind the Iron Curtain through the borders. And his only protection really was prayer. And he used what uh, we call in open door circles, the smuggler's prayer. What he would do is he'd go to the border. look the border guards face on and in his mind he would pray lord god uh in my car i have bibles for your children across the border when you were on earth you would make blind eyes see and today i need you to make seeing eyes blind and uh the, the smuggler's prayer is the only prayer i've ever heard of that's named after a, a crime which is quite funny in my mind but uh he spent his whole career delivering bibles and smuggling bibles and then eventually when the iron curtain fell and you know communism collapsed across eastern europe um, the church was able to get their own bibles and his his mission expanded outwards around the world and grew over the years and became known as open doors which is where we are at today amazing i as a teen i was so inspired by that book um, John Smuggler, yeah. John Smuggler, yeah. So uh, such a great read. And the uh, mm-hmm. um, co-authors, the Sherrills, who have um, done yep. some co-writing with other biographies that really impacted me as a writer. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a story from his um, work behind the Iron Curtain that stands out to you? Oh, I mean, I mean, all his stories are inspiring. The, the, the biggest thing about Brother Andrew's life is his focus on prayer. And, you know, to this day, Open Doors... Our whole mission is focused on prayer, really, more than anything else. Um, That's sort of the centerpiece of what we do. But um, the other thing that makes Brother Andrew so inspiring was just his actual care for the people of the church uh, without regard for their background, let alone anything like denomination. And um, if I can actually expand the question just a little bit. Uh, So you ask about behind the Iron Curtain, if I can make it a little more global. One thing I was reflecting on just this week about Brother Andrew's life was that he worked with, uh, or not worked with, but met with uh, Hamas, the the group in Gaza, um, as well as with the Islamic Jihad. He met with Christians in Palestine and in Israel because he believed that Christians had a, a responsibility to shed light in a dark situation. He actually demonstrated that belief by traveling to the region. He had deep relationships with the church in Gaza, the West Bank, as well as Christians and Messianic believers in Israel. Um, and he met with the leaders of Hamas as well as of the Islamic Jihad, not for the sake of legitimizing them, but because he wanted to share Jesus with them. Um, and he 
took the opportunity to speak with those he could about the power of the gospel to change their lives. And um, he has a quote I, I wrote down for the purpose of this interview, which is, uh, this is long before you know the current situation, um, but the conflict was still present. And he said, the unending conflict sickened me, but what hurt even more was knowing that my brothers and sisters were caught in the midst of the fighting. And his belief, which we still hold to today, is that the church, even the persecuted church, has a voice in the world, a voice that can speak truth to power and can be a light for Jesus in the darkness. Yeah, that's powerful. The, something I think we often overlook, I know I've had the privilege of traveling to Israel and being to all mm -hmm. the West territories, and I've been to Gaza, and um, one thing people forget is that there are so many believers in that area as well. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's... there's uh, some Christians in Gaza, few, but some, there's many more in the West Bank, and then lots of believers in Israel, Arab Christians, Messianic Jews. Um, the church is there. Yeah. yeah. Church is everywhere. Okay, so I imagine for some Canadians especially, uh, it might be surprised to hear that Christians are persecuted. I'd love to know, first of all, how do you define persecution? And then secondly, can you sort of lay out what persecution looks like for sure. people of faith around the world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so persecution is um, oppression or discrimination as a result of one's faith. Religious persecution is anyway. So open doors, uh, we measure persecution in what we call spheres. So spheres of life that might be affected by discrimination or oppression because of one's religious beliefs. Uh, and five of those spheres are like elements of one's life that might be affected by persecution. So that's uh, family life. So if one is treated by their family differently or excommunicated from the family because they've converted to Christianity, there's community life. Uh, so maybe uh, education or employment being affected because of one's faith. National life, that might include citizenship uh, or the actual legality of being a Christian. There's church life, which asks the question of whether Christians are allowed to meet openly. Are they monitored? Can church uh, leaders be trained, things like that. Then there's private life. So simply, can one actually convert to Christianity without uh, without consequences? Can one own or possess religious materials, things like that? Uh, so five spheres of pressure in life. And then the sixth one is violence. So is one at risk of assault or beatings or, th or things of that sort. So those are sort of the strict definitions of persecution that we use. But at the end of the day, religious persecution can look different uh, country to country. So one country might have uh, family life be really significant. So maybe it's technically legal to be a Christian, but you're expected to be something else, a different faith. And so when you change your religion, you feel the most pressure on your, on your family and, and community life, for example. Whereas you look at a country like Nigeria, for instance, the most persecution comes in the form of violence with groups like Boko Haram, uh, jihadist groups that operate targeting vulnerable people, which includes religious minorities like Christians. Um, so the situation in Iran is very different from the situation in Nigeria, but both of them are, are considered persecution. So I want to talk with you a bit about how you then help the persecuted church in yeah. different areas where there's different types of persecution. But first, I found a quote from you on Twitter, um, and this is part of it. And uh, Jared's okay. handle is Jared V.D. Mullen. So I'll share that in the notes, but go check him out. If Christians are to be holistically just and focused on the marginalized, we need to learn about following Jesus from our brothers and sisters who are marginalized for it. And just would love for your perspective on what can the marginalized church teach us about being people of faith in today's world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fact is, 
you know, Open Doors works with the persecuted church all around the world. And I think in, in my own case, it can be very easy for me to take my faith for granted. Um, it can be very easy to attend church on a Sunday and, and then go about my life six days a week. And um, for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer persecution, making the choice to follow Jesus every day isn't an easy decision for them because they know that that choice can have consequences. Once again, whether it's violent consequences or within one's family or with one's employment. And so those who follow Jesus, despite the risks, like they have more strength than I do, I think. I don't know what I, I would be able to do in a situation like that. And so when we in Canada talk about having Jesus be the center of our lives and making him the focus of everything we do, I think our brothers and sisters in, choose a country, uh, Nigeria again, or Iran, or Egypt, or China, they can show us what that means every day, because they're the ones who are choosing to follow Jesus, even when that costs them. So when I say that we can learn about, um, when I say we can learn from our brothers and sisters who are marginalized, that's what I mean, is that when following Jesus has a cost, it's not something that can be done easily, and yet they do it. And to me, that is a beautiful example of how the church continues to thrive around the world. Now, you work all around the world, started in Europe. Um, yeah. Where do you work today? Maybe at a 30,000 foot view. And then what does that work actually look like? Mm -hmm. We work in every country that we consider to have high to extreme levels of persecution. So uh, I would love to actually bring up at this point uh, the World Watch List, which is uh, the primary document that Open Doors uses for our research. And the World Watch List is produced annually. It's the focus of uh, a lot of intensive desk research, field research. And every year we rank the top 50 countries where Christians are the most persecuted. Uh, we've had 30 years of the world watch list now, and over the years we've seen which countries get better, which countries get worse, how that changes. Um, and so we go all the way from number one, which this year is North Korea. North Korea has been number one most of the time. Uh, down All the way down to number 50, which this year is Nicaragua. And then there's a few countries actually beyond the top 52 that also experience high to extreme levels of persecution. And so we work with Christians where persecution is the worst. And right now that is in about 70 countries around the world. So yes, like you mentioned, we started in Europe and that was because in 1955, Brother Andrew worked with churches in communist areas that didn't have access to the Bibles. Uh, now Eastern Europe has you know, better access to the Bible and church and that's wonderful. And so we work in uh, these other countries which include parts of the Middle East, parts of uh, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, um, and a few other locations around the world. But the World Watch List uh, is the document that I would recommend to your listeners, and that can be found on our website quite easily, that has all the information about the countries where we work. Now, you're asking about specifics, and uh, it's it's hard to give specifics about every country, but our, our goal, very broadly speaking, is to strengthen the persecuted church, however that looks for them. And so I've already used the examples of countries like Nigeria and Iran and um, Strengthening the church looks different from place to place. And our goal is not to go into a country and say uh, to Christians there, this is what you need and here's what we're going to do. It's to listen and hear them say, this is what we need 
in order to thrive in our context. And we can say, okay, maybe we can help with that. So maybe it still is delivering Bibles in a given language. In some countries, they don't have the opportunity to print their own Bibles, and maybe we can deliver that for them. In other countries, it's maybe training pastors. In some countries, uh, I mentioned the violence in Nigeria. It might be caring for orphans and widows who have lost uh, their families because of, of persecution. It might be providing business training to a Christian who needs to make an income because he's lost his job uh, because of his faith. And we can maybe help with you know, financial startups to bring a livelihood to this family or giving discipleship materials to a church in their native language. It really depends on the situation and the country. And we try to listen to what they need and hear them say, this is how you can help us. That's amazing. I've um, encouraged my audience to go check out your YouTube channel. And I was just clicking around there, saw some of the um, content about digital persecution and surveillance. I'm wondering if you can explain those risks. That's, I think, something that people would maybe quickly understand, yeah. um, or maybe have not even thought about that the persecution could kind of take place in the digital world. Yeah, digital persecution is one of those growing trends. Uh, and I mentioned that every year we we reproduce the world watch list with updated information about persecution. And one of the things we try to do is explain trends in religious persecution. So digital persecution is one of these. And what that looks like is, uh, in, in particular, uh, one area of focus is China. And about Here's a fact for you. Roughly half the surveillance cameras on Earth are located in China. Um, mm -hmm. The Chinese church is experiencing more and more digital persecution in the form of um, church services being monitored. Uh, e even the legal church services in China, there's one branch of Christianity that is legally allowed to operate, but those church services are monitored with security cameras and the, and the government has a say in what is, in what is said. Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of Christians both in Canada, but also around the world, we're meeting online. So for the church in China, well, that's becoming quickly not an option because internet activity is monitored. And so having a worship service in your own home uh, over, over Zoom or, or what have you uh, isn't an option for them anymore. It even looks like uh, what's accessible on the internet is more and more restricted, let's say. So uh, I've already mentioned how we started out delivering Bibles. One of the great things about the internet is that Bibles have become more accessible for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, right? Like you don't necessarily need a physical copy when you have the opportunity to go online. It just makes it more accessible for many people. That's kind of becoming less and less of a thing in, in China as well as a couple other parts of the world. Um, and so physical copies of the Bible are becoming more necessary because being able to access scriptures on the internet isn't an option for some churches. So things like that, um, particularly in China and, and as well as Myanmar and a couple other parts, uh, particularly in Asia, Southeast Asia, that's a growing trend of persecution. So Jared, what are some of the ways that you're innovating to support the church in different countries where there is persecution? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so they say necessity is the mother of invention. And, and like I've said already, what we really try to do is connect with the local church to find out from them what they need in order to be strengthened. So uh, that, again, can look many different ways. And in terms of innovation, um, one story that, that I really liked uh, from the last couple of years was the opportunity to deliver Bibles to Malaysia and not just physical Bibles, but actually audio Bibles as well. And what uh, happened was the local partners for Open Doors there, the church in Malaysia connected with a company, an audio production company to make Bibles that are 
basically long-range radio devices that come pre-installed, not only with audio Bibles, but as well as uh, worship music, some sermons and devotional materials. And the beauty of that is, well, there's, there's a lot of great things. First of all, these are devices that don't need to be connected to the internet. So they can be used out while working in the fields or at home for people who don't have internet connections. They're available not only in the majority language, but in minority dialects as well. So anyone can listen to them and uh, they don't require literacy. So education is not something that everyone has the opportunity to get. And so this just makes the Bible accessible to anyone in Malaysia who wants to hear the word of God. So um, uh, at least in the in the 2021-2022 period, when we got our information about um, our work, the numbers came out that they had distributed about 60,000 Bibles, physical copies of the Bible, but as well as these audio Bibles to Christians in Malaysia, meaning 60,000 people who are able to get the word of God in their own language, which to me is just a real encouragement. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's one of the gifts that in the catalog that I have like my eyes on for this uh, giving season. I'm excited about that. And Malaysia has like Love a real special that. place in my heart. My readers will know I spent like more than three years of my life. It was such a consequential mm -hmm. time. I write about it occasionally and I got Malaysian listeners here. So big shout out to them. Um, that That's so exciting to hear. So there you know, this is in a lot of ways heavy stuff. There must be risks mm -hmm. for your colleagues um, and people who work for Open Doors. Could you speak to some of those risks and maybe how you ensure that workers are protected or how you yeah. navigate that? Yeah, um, I would actually like to just reference the word workers for one. Um, Open Doors works through local partners. So what we do is, again, we connect with the local church and we really, as much as possible, try to empower the local church to do what they need to do. And so um, the idea of Open Doors workers might imply uh, a bunch of people from Canada going into, again, Nigeria or Myanmar or wherever it is. And that's um, not the case so much as it is connecting with the local church and empowering them to do what they need to do. Um, so I would actually prefer the term partners to, to sure. workers, if that makes sense. No. Um, I, that's actually the fact that we can work through local partners is one way that we can protect people because we work with people who are in most cases citizens or it, it's not outside religious influence coming into a country as much as it is simply people who are already there being, being strengthened. Um, now, with that said, if you browse our blog or our social media, for example, you'll notice that most of the time we use fake names. Um, in some of our videos, uh, we can't show the faces of people we're talking to. So there is certainly levels of security, um, but we really try our hardest to strengthen the church, how they need to be strengthened in their local context. And doing that is itself more secure than bringing in outside help. I mean, there's so much we could talk about. I hope that for um, the purposes of this conversation that my listeners um, will be curious to learn more about Open Doors and what you're doing. I definitely mm -hmm. want to highlight that this week upcoming on Sunday, November 5th, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, you, you mentioned at the top of this interview that prayer is a key focus of your organization. Yeah. So two quick questions. Why is prayer important? Um, and then I'll ask you about like some of the details of the event. Yeah, why is prayer important? Uh, <laughs> I would, to answer that question, I would direct you to the persecuted church. Um, and the reason I say that is that, as I've emphasized so many times, what we try to do is get them to tell us what they need. And the number one thing we get as a request is prayer. 
the church says, we just need Christians around the world to be praying for us. And we pray in part to, you know, petition the Lord and say, please help them and provide for them. And in part, um, as a way of just standing together as a family, you know, so many of our brothers and sisters have lost family members or lost friends, um, or whether that's losing family to persecution or being kicked out of their own family or social circles because of persecution. And the fact is we want them to know that choosing to follow Jesus means they're part of the body of Christ worldwide. And, you know, we in Canada are one part of that, but the church in Iran and the church in Afghanistan and North Korea and China and Nigeria, it's, it's all the body of Christ. And so we want to stand together as one family. I have used the term brothers and sisters many times already. That is uh, on purpose because these are our family members in the Lord. And so prayer is the number one thing because that's the number one thing that the persecuted church needs. So this Sunday, um, how can people connect with the International Day of Prayer? Uh, what is Open Doors doing to highlight it? And maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yep, absolutely. So uh, yeah, November 5th is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And all across Canada, churches are going to be observing the uh, IDOP, International Day of Prayer, whether it's a full service devoted to the Persecuted Church or a moment of prayer. So first of all, uh, if someone's listening to this before November the 5th and uh, wants to get their church involved, opendoorscanada.org slash IDOP is the place to go. Lots of resources for how your church can do that. Um, and in fact, if you hear it after November the 5th, feel free to get some of our church resources and have your church connect with the persecuted church in that way, because we love to see that. But uh, besides individual churches doing that, uh, Open Doors Canada is having a event on YouTube that evening where it's just uh, information about persecution, as well as times of prayer. And that's along with our other partners. Um, Open Doors Canada is one part of a great organization that puts together the International Day of Prayer. So we'll have people from a few different organizations coming together to pray for the persecuted church. That will be on YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, November the 5th. It'll remain there once again, if you're listening after November the 5th, by all means, uh, youtube.com slash Open Doors Canada. It'll be there, it'll be about 45 minutes, not even a half hour uh, of, of prayer time for our persecuted family. So you can learn, you can be informed and keep in prayer and then follow up on that event with resources for your personal prayer life and for your church. Amazing. And I can attest the content that Open Door sends out to your mailbox, to your email, email inbox uh, is great. Uh, there's wonderful ways to connect all throughout the year. I highly also recommend the gift catalog, um, mm -hmm. different unique ways to give. So Jared, where can people find, like what's um, the best way to find the website and yep. um, anywhere else you wanna point people to? opendoorscanada.org is the place for everything and that's got downloadable resources like you've mentioned our prayer calendar you can get your own copy of the world watch list to find out more about every country that we uh or that's in the top 50 uh, most persecuted countries that's got information about what persecution looks like as well as points of prayer uh, and other things like that uh, you can sign up to get our emails there as well uh, we we do try our best not to spam but rather to send practical things like prayer requests um, and you can follow us everywhere on social media at Open Doors Canada. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube as well, Facebook. Uh, so all of our stuff goes up there. It's prayer points, it's latest latest stories, everything that's going on. And we'd love to connect with people in that way. 
Amazing. Well, Jared, thank you so much for your time today. And I just want to personally thank you for the way that you're standing up and drawing awareness to the persecuted church. Uh, what a gift to the body of Christ and also to, on like open doors, the work that you're doing. It's so meaningful. I'm cheering you on. I know a lot of my listeners will be cheering you on and just grateful for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Andrew. Great to be here. Thanks for tuning into Things I Said Out Loud. If you haven't yet, make sure you jump over to andrewkuman.com and subscribe to my newsletter. That way, you'll get original content and encouragement delivered right to your inbox. I like to write on themes of creativity, faith, and how those collide in the real world. Make sure you also visit Unveil's newsletter, where you can geek out with my brothers Matthew and Daniel Kuman and I as we share our filmmaking journey and our new adventure as we grow our streaming service, unveiltv.com. You can always find the links in my show notes below. Thanks again. I'm so grateful that you shared part of your day with me. Now, go find some time to get lost in words.